Hi, this is Ronan O'Gara. Leave a message, please. Yeah, hi, Raj. Uh, this is Eddie O'Sullivan here. Uh, listen, there's a great new podcast out at the moment. I don't know if you've seen it. The Mario Rosenstock podcast. Uh, lots of rugby players uh, seem to be dying to get involved in it. It might be something you might be uh, interested in going on. Anyway, hope you're well. Take it easy. Good luck. Bye. Raj, it's Johnny. Mario Rosenstock uh, asked me to be on his podcast. It's unbelievable. I'm definitely going to do it. It's brilliant. Um, listen, he might be looking for you as well, so I hope you don't mind. Uh, I gave you his number. Cheers. Raj, it's Polly. The Mario Rosenstock podcast. Everybody's talking about it. It's brilliant. I thought you would have been on it. Now, Raj, fucking get on it straight away, or I'll put the fear of God into you. Do it, Raj. Uh, Raj, uh, this is the president of Ireland, Michael D. Higgins. Uh, I insist, Raj, you appear on my favourite podcast, the Mario Rosenstock podcast. This is an executive order. Get it done. Hi, you've reached Mario Rosenstock. I'm not in at the moment. Please leave a message and I'll get straight back to you. Thanks. Mario, Raj, how are you? I'll do your podcast. Relax. I know it's you doing the voices. Go away. No more messages. Talk to you later. Hello there, and thank you for joining me on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. I am Mario Rosenstock. And that was the real voice of Ronan O'Gara you heard on the voice answering machine. I was pretty persistent, I have to say. I tracked him down. I found out where he lived. I found out his uh, number and I rang him and I rang him and I rang him. And you know what? It was worth the wait because we had a really, really good chat, which I hope you will enjoy in a few minutes. And I think he came out with some solid gold. You know, I think you have 100 people in intensive care, but you have 5 million people in lockdown. I don't know if they got the plan right in Ireland. I remember you coming to the opera house and I'm going, how the fuck does he do this? Oh my God, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's too much. I haven't got a good environment going in my club at the minute and it needs to get better. And that might shock a lot of people, but that's the honest answer. It's not very good. I'm looking at in front of me now and if that's what a 50 year old looks like, it excites me. I think I fixed... <laughs> This is the most romantic, dirty phone call I've ever been on. I'm looking at somebody now, and if this what 50, if this what 50 looks like, I want a piece of your ass. I'll tell you now, Mario. Ronan O'Gara coming up in a few minutes. So last week was the first episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast, and it featured, of course, an interview between myself and my longstanding friend and colleague, Mr. Ian Dempsey. And thank you. I have to just say thank you for all your kind messages on Twitter at Gift Grub Mario on Facebook, Mario Rosenstock and on email because I gave out my, 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 my own personal email, MarioRosenstock at gmail.com and thank you for sending messages to that and I would urge people to send messages to that email giving me ideas or, or passing comment on the programme or just getting in touch um, and people in person as well, people I met on the street who really seem to enjoy the chat between myself and Ian especially, um, it seems, Ian doing impressions uh, that went down particularly well. I had never heard that before myself. And if you haven't heard them, listen back. Episode one. Um, and listen, we were blown away. Why? Because on the very first week of our first podcast, so many thousands of you listened that we went to number one in the podcast charts and stayed there for days. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, and I hope you tune into this one as well and uh, enjoy it because it's Ronan O'Gara. My exclusive chat with him is in a couple of minutes. Now, as you might imagine, I am loving my new world in the world of podcasts. And I'm not only doing a podcast, but of course, I am listening to as many podcasts um, as I can. A lot like you out there. Everybody's listening to podcasts because you can do it in your own time and it's independent and everything. Um, and I'm also doing sketches on the radio, of course, on Today FM. And this week, everybody was talking about mandatory quarantine hotels. And that was the, the, the buzzword this week. And I immediately wanted to hear not what the radio was saying, but what all my podcasting friends were saying about it. So I went to all my favorite podcasts. Um, there's so many to choose from. Brilliant podcasts in Ireland. But first I checked out. Well, I have to check out the Tommy and Hector podcast to see what they were saying about mandatory quarantine. Listen, listen, listen up. Hector, Hector, stop. You're doing me head in. Fuck's sake. No, oh, no, Tommy. I'm Tommy. fucking insane. Tommy, Tomas, 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 Eistiki, Eistiki. Okay, go talking on. about the mandatory quarantine. Mandatory quarantine. Qu- what? Listen to me, Hector. Quarantine. Hector. Mandatory. Scobar. Do you know what mandatory Do you know what mandatory quarantine is like? It's like being stuck inside a bishop's skull. Four walls. Pure madness. Pure madness. It is. Just, there's nothing there. Oh, it's just Jesus. Empty. Tomas. It's just. Tomas. Tommy. 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 Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I no. think? The, man, what? the mandatory quarantine. Don't mandatory. Just said the mandatory quarantine. Oh, not Spanish. Tommy. Don't be fucking Tommy. speaking Spanish. La mandatina. Mandatory quarantine. No, Jesus. Here he is again now. Aquí. Stop it. Este aquí. Este aquí, Tommy. Tommy. It's the Hector and Tommy podcast. Oh, that was mandatory Hector, quarantine. I'm, I'm, I'm going fucking insane. What will we call this? What will we call this episode? Do you know what we call it? Do you know what we call it, Hector? Hector, do you know what we call it? What? What are we going to call it? Mandatory quarantine athletic. Ah! That's what we call it. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> oh, ole, stop, ole, ole, stop ole, ole. Stop it. Stop it. ginger Buddha. Oh, ole. Buddha Darek. It's an undumb Tomas. Oh, I've fucking gone insane. Then I headed straight over to Blind Boy, Blind Boy Boat Club. He is basically the king of podcasters. We speak his name with reverence in this new world that I'm in. I checked him out. Listen, listen, very cerebral. Very cerebral. Very, very philosophical. Lovely, calming music. Let's see what he had to say. Lads, creatively, I cannot think of anything more despotically fucking depressing in mandatory quarantine where you lie there prostrate as you stare at your phone and Twitter inevitably I fucking hate Twitter lads a big baldy raven reciting Emmanuel Kant backwards on the back of a prepubescent unicorn makes more sense to me creatively than Twitter. Now, where was I? Oh yeah, ravens. You listen to ravens. Ravens are poets. Ravens are ornithological satirists. Ravens are the Flan O'Brien of opportunistic flying rodents anyway finally I checked out David McWilliams to see what he makes of the whole mandatory quarantine hotel thing okay David you ready to go ready to go John give me the light and I'll put on my scanger accent grand get right down with the punters for this one yeah just put away the financial times there it looks a bit obvious wrong camera I'll get the sun out for them here we go 
How are you doing? It's David here. How's the farm, me old buddy? How are you doing, me old mate? Great, David. How are you? <laughs> you know what? I'm fucking wrecked today. I'm yeah. really fucking wrecked. You know yeah. that? I went yeah. knacker drinking again last night. Kicked the <laughs> bollocks of some Torag outside Finnegan's and Dorky. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of the mandatory quarantine? Ah, point? mandatory quarantine, me ring piece. Me yeah. answer, Gosha. How are you doing? Okay, David, I, I think we'll uh, tone it back a bit. Is that a bit overtly aggressive? Yeah. Do you think? yeah, just a bit, I thought, yeah. Exclusive behind-the-scenes footage there from the David McWilliams podcast, and I hope they don't mind. And sorry, uh, apologies in advance if, if they do. Right, let's get back to it. So sit back, keep walking, breathe, enjoy yourself, uh, stick on your headphones, go into another world because you're about to hear a very relaxing interview. Now, lads, focus on the creativity of pure, undiluted diarrheal conversation between Mario Rosenstock and Ronan O'Gara. Enjoy. All right, we're off. We're off. Raj, talk to me about France at the moment in the COVID world. I haven't. I just want to know about what's going on over there. Yeah, well, I live in um, Ile de Ré. I don't know if you know Mario, but a lot of Irish people, I'd say, with families would know. It's a beautiful place for holidays. It's Connected to La Rochelle, which is my rugby team, is the La Rochelle, Stade Rochelle en Francais. Um, so it's connected by a three-kilometre bridge. And I live in Ile de Ré, which is a, a lovely spot. And after Ile de Ré, Saint-Marie, after Saint-Marie, there's uh, Saint-Martin, after Saint-Martin, La Cour, Jessica goes horse-riding in La Cour, après c'est Arstoré. Uh, after that, uh, you're very close to America, I believe. Okay, so what is interesting and uh, particularly nice about the place is that it's in summer, it's priority bikes, and I'm not a bike knob. I'm not into that uh, Velcro and getting kitted out in, at every opportunity, but I do enjoy a family cycle, and I do enjoy the benefits of connecting on a bike and going for a little bit of a cycle on a Sunday morning. But for people on holidays, as opposed to just going to the beach or the pool and spending 10 hours by there here. It's, I suppose it's nice to be able to get a bike, cycle three, four kilometers, have uh, a glass of Heineken, uh, milky coffee, an espresso, a baguette, a chausson au pomme, whatever you want. There's every four or five kilometers, there's kind of stops and there's picturesque seaside um, amenities. So it's it's a, a place, I think, if you go, it will hit you. It hit you hard. It'll stay with you. And a lot of people from Ireland that I've spoken to really like it. But I live here all year round, so I feel grateful for that. I enjoy it. Um, since last April, we've had one lockdown where I think it was four weeks of a one kilometer radius, stay indoor, uh, very strict uh, policemen with guns on the street. So don't go out really. Um, and it hit hard at the start. It was obviously a bizarre time. Um, but since then, um, I suppose the biggest impact on us as a family has been the fact that no restaurants, which is really a first world problem. We can get over that. We we have takeaways, uh, but we we haven't had 
schools closed and we haven't had rugby club closed. So my work goes on. The family routine stays the same. And I think it's a very, very different picture to the people in Ireland who are really suffering, who are really resilient. And um, I don't know if they got the plan right in Ireland. Yeah. Do you, why not? Because I, you know, I think you have a hundred people in intensive care, but you five million people uh, in lockdown. No matter who you are or what you do, we've really cared for each other. But things have to go on. I think you look at what's going to happen: the mental health, the mindfulness, the 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 mental aspect of people going forward you you're not going to see it now but it'll only be potentially when you exit it um but if there's one message i can give across on this show it would be people need to exercise the value the importance of exercise cannot be stressed enough at this time and for me exercise i'm not talking about breaking records or anything like that you just need to walk you need to run you need to waddle you need to shuffle you need to do something to get out there because i don't i have never met anyone who doesn't feel better after exercise and um i don't like it either really to be honest mario but i've got to do it from from my head i feel different after i do it i feel different engaging with people i feel different connecting with people i feel that i can uh, there's an edge taken off me. There's a bitterness out of me when I exercise and I feel exercise gives you energy. You can think clearer. You can think more positive. Um, it, it's so, so important in the turbulent times we're going through. Yeah. Would you, that just on that point, actually, two things. My wife, Blonnet, um, I said to her earlier on, I was going to talk to Raj. And she went, she's not a rugby fan, but of course she's used to seeing you. And she went, he looks really well. And I went, what do you mean? And she went, his skin tone. His skin tone is good. He's glowing, she said. He's glowing. And uh, I think he takes care of himself, she said. So that probably tallies with what you do. You do take care of yourself. I mean, do you, I mean, on the last point you made there though, Rog, do you, would you regard yourself as a person who would have a propensity to have, let's say, mild mental health difficulties if you could not exercise? Oh, within four days. I think the cutoff point is four days for me. I just know for a fact if I don't exercise for three or four days, I become different. And uh, that's quite worrying <laughs> because it's, it's, it's something that, especially in my game, you need to be... Uh, very, very positive. I'm looked upon as a leader, a tone setter, a energy giver, a without opening my mouth, uh, my players know whether uh, what my body language is, whether I'm up for the battle. If I'm not up for the battle, how are players meant to be up for it? I set the tone and everything basically. So uh, it's I never, ever uh, ran more than 40 minutes, would you believe? Because in rugby, your fitness is a little bit different. I have ran over 40 minutes, but not 40 minutes continuously. And now, I've kind of only started literally about um, a few weeks ago with a, a kind of a running club with the staff of, of my uh, rugby club. And we're, we're, you know what I mean, we're able to run an hour 
easy. So it, it's it's yeah. um, it's quite. That doesn't mean anything to anybody, but when you have a little bit of pride about what you do or what you want to achieve, it's it's a it's winning the next moment. It's winning the kind of battle that's in front of you. Because for me, life isn't about like me getting the better of you, Mario. It's about me against me and being able to look myself in the mirror. And that's why, in related to my career, I don't feel pressure genuinely. Mm. I prepare as best I can. I prepare the team as best I can, but I can sleep at night because I feel like that I, I give it my all. And once you give something your all, I think there's a sense of contentment when you hit the pillow at night. Do you think um, your background in sport, now that you said that, that, being a sportsman, being a sports coach gives you a better understanding of how to deal with this COVID uh, battle? that you take, as you say, small wins, you make small gains, you go, it's, it's about the long picture, just keep working at it, keep working. I was very different, I would say, to a few years ago till I went to the Crusaders. I went to Crusaders in New Zealand. It completely turned my mindset upside down. It's a very, very different mindset to Irish people. It's very much glass half full. In Ireland, I find people are very, very good at putting our neighbours down or putting our competitors down which bugs me, which disappoints me. We're very good at, if we propose, if I propose something to you, Mara, potentially, I'm not saying you, but people will say why it won't work. But why wouldn't it work? I grew up in an era of sporting teams where it was knocked over our head that we're so lucky to be part of this stage. It's so lucky to be on the same pitch as the All Blacks is bullshit. I don't believe that. I don't. I don't want to hear it again. I. It's. It's not what it is. Why wouldn't you be able to win World Cups? Why wouldn't you be able to win European Cups? Irish people have have incredible, I think, capacity to to push themselves, and we've some fantastically talented people, and also. Um, I also think that the more you engage and the more you connect with people, the better your chance. Because if you share the ideas, you decide, you discuss and you apply it, there's a great chance of success. But also, I think what Irish people have more so than any other people from traveling the world is I think when we tap into our emotional side, a lot of sports psychologists will say, well, that's a bit of a weakness. I don't agree. I think if you get that right mix between emotion and strategy, and mindset and skill set and structure, you have a great chance of succeeding. This is why you kind of bought in as well, if I'm not mistaken, to the whole Roy Keane mindset that uh, we all were exposed to in the early 2000s and onwards, isn't it? This idea of when Keane would go, no, don't just turn up. What are you doing just turning up for at the end of the day? What are you turning up? Don't turn up. Go out and beat him. Go out and beat Wales. Go out and beat Azerbaijan. If you play Brazil, go out and beat them as well. Go out and beat them, Raj. Isn't that what he said? Isn't that what he said, Raj? You just wanted to talk like Roy and throw it in, didn't you? You're just... Yeah. Well, it's interesting, Mario, because he showed us the way. Now, you go back 20 years, it's easy now being, you know, um, Mario hindsight. Well, what about Mario foresight? You know, Roy... Roy gave a lot of us of the same generation or the generation after him the, the chance to dream, the chance to go after something. Who else was doing it? 
Do you um, admire him? Yeah, I do. I do. I'm from Cork. Yeah, I admire him a lot. We're very different, as you know, down there. I admire Sonia Sullivan an awful lot. I admire Roy Keane. I admire Dennis Irwin. I admire Jimmy Barry Murphy. I admire uh, Larry Tompkins. I admire so many GA people down there. I think that's, I liked growing up there because rugby wasn't, the rugby was a part of it, but a lot of it, it was, it, it was sport. You know, I remember watching whatever Christy O'Connor's approach at the Belfry. Images like that come back to me straight away about what it means to be Irish, what it means to be from Cork. It's, 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 if you lose your identity, you've nothing. I know. I before I did this, before I was, I was looking at some questions I might want to ask you and some things I might want to talk to you about. And I asked Ian. I said, Ian, give me two things to ask Rog that you'd like to ask him. And you've just hit on the first one there. And he said, Cork, our Cork people are different. Discuss. So you've said they're different down there. What do you think it is that it's different about this Cork mindset? Do you think? I'll give you an example. Okay, I went to uh, Rugby World Cup two thousand and seven, and I had a shocking tournament. Uh, we talked it up before the tournament we could potentially win it Mario imagine which I genuinely I remember. believed and we had 10 weeks of great mm. preparation uh, without and with the ball if you understand me in terms of like uh, how fast we were how strong we were how skillful we were there are different measurements obviously but going into it felt this is getting exciting this is great Okay, came to the rugby side of it and we beyond disappointed uh, and I was probably the major culprit. I had a shocker, and uh, what, what, a, what a disappointment! You, you have no idea um, how much that hurt. How about letting down everyone in your country? Like it's four years only. It was my second World Cup. Two thousand and three was a different experience because we didn't go there with much of an ambition. Two thousand and seven, we were all in. And then you don't perform, you go back to Cork and I remember uh, meeting up with a few of the teammates and the bodies and we went to Barrack Street on, on, a, on a bit of a pub crawl and uh, you get the strange look from people and the kind of, fuck, you're some langer, you know. They're not saying it yet, but you know what they're thinking and I agree with them, but they leave you alone and I respected that, okay, but we didn't play our next game till September against Edinburgh in Musgrave Park. And there was a lot of uh, talk about me and that and with off-field problems and, and so and so. Some of them, 99% of it wasn't true, but there's no smoke without fire. It was, it was uh, uh, some subjects I couldn't care less about. Other subjects were, were quite hurtful to the family. Uh, but... I fast forward and the first um, game was uh, back in Musgrave Park, which is in Cork. Uh, obviously, big games in Munster are in Tolman Park. But the first game back after that was in Musgrave Park. And um, I went uh, to that game and I played and I was nervous because I didn't know, was I good? Was my form there? Can I do it? But I kind of, I went out to warm up an hour before the game and Musgrave Park was packed. And basically it was, uh, I'll never forget it. It was like uh, they wanted to be there to kind of help me because they could see I was struggling. Like that's good taste. 
that's good vibe. That's having, they get it and they want you and they look after their own. It meant an awful lot. I was very, 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 very um, proud that night. And is that what you mean by Cork is different? Really proud of their own and really stick with their tribe? No, I don't get that because for me, there would maybe a misperception about that. That means more playing for Munster than Ireland. Nonsense. There's nothing bigger than playing for your country. Winning at Ireland level is different because it's 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 harder and it's better. But with Munster, you played with your buddies. With Ireland, you do play with your buddies. And I played long enough to know there isn't um, any any difference whatsoever. It's very, very special. It's very different between Munster and Ireland. But I think when when um, when you're on your knees, they lifted me up. And that was important to me. Come here, you described yourself as the energy giver for the team when you go out, the energy giver. So let's just put the lie on this then, Rog. You are the energy giver. But the character I play on Gift Grub is distinctly lacking in energy. In fact, the character I play on Gift Grub, Rog, is like he's just very, very droll. And he just, you know, you. what the thing, I, the way I play you as well, Rog, is that when Ian asks me a question... I take 10 seconds My of a delay time. before I answer it because you take your time to answer a question and you're very, very considered. And your brain works in kind of very meandering, roundabout ways. You think about no, things, not, necessarily. not just laterally. I, I think I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity of commenting on games. I don't really enjoy... Uh, having a go off someone for the sake of having a go off something. I got great advice from my mum saying, uh, darling, remember every one of those boys has a mammy and daddy who's watching you today. And it's so true. But for me, someone like Michael Lina was exceptional at how he delivered a point because he didn't have to dig, in, uh, dig a knife into people. He got his point across. So... When you're asked the question, you're on live TV, as you know, you get one chance to do it and you can upset a lot of people. I understand we're dealing with top flight sport and it can be ruthless at times and you have to say stuff our time. But uh, let's let's get the point across as accurately as possible is, is how I look upon it, because it's not really for me. I don't need to be my message is an entertainment I think what people hopefully associate with me is that, uh, you know, discipline, sacrifice, uh, preparation, perseverance, resilience, and uh, adversity. And then you can give an educated, hopefully, view on things. Yeah, but the thing is, you are, and I'm not blowing smoke up your hole here, right? But you are an excellent watch as a pundit. And that's pretty much uh, widespread, that feeling. So even though you are quite droll and you take a long time to think about what you're going to do, and some of your answers are very long, there is, an, uh, there is a sense, and it's a bit like you have a Porter Carrington thing. You have a Porter Carrington thing. Porter Carrington has this thing as well where he sees, he's, he answers the question he's asked. He answers the question he's asked. He is, in a sense, undiplomatic. He's blunt. 
and you have that bluntness about you. So, for example, I'll give you an example of Harrington. I remember once he was asked, there was a thing in the Sunday Times and there was a little, co- it was a little column called Fame and Fortune. And they went, are you a spender or a saver? And he went, eh, I'm actually a saver, actually. Um, because at the moment, um, I'm actually saving for a private jet. Now, the private jet is actually 24 million, but I've only saved 19 million. So I'm actually 5 million short. So I don't really know how I'm going to save the extra 5 million. And you're just kind of going, oh, my God, Harrington is just, it's almost, it, there's, it's almost, it's, it's weird to listen to it because he's, he's answering the question so literally. And no, you are you similar to that. You, you, answer- don't get, you don't get you don't get that. You don't get that. Hold on. I one of the great sporting talks I heard was delivered from Podrick. And as you say, yeah, he answers the question, okay? But he came to Enfield. It was actually the same weekend as uh the so-called Rob Carney speech, was it, in terms of uh remember there was some I don't even remember, but there was something about Monster players applying themselves as much to Ireland as they do to Monster. That was the kind of speech around Enfield. It was the same gathering we had Podrick on the Saturday, maybe or on the Friday, and uh, wow, he came in. Okay, you you have no idea, no idea of the detail involved when he spoke. It was different level his analysis about. Oh, that's, his what understanding that's what I'm saying. Sure. Of the brain, his understanding of the brain yeah. and what it means. That's what I'm saying, his detail. His, his, exactly, his level of detail is absolutely unrivaled. And you go into that similar level of detail and people can appreciate that you're actually getting to the point very bluntly, very directly and answering with all your capability. You're not being... I'm trying to explain it to the... Uh, you mean the auntie and uncle at home? Like... I wish at times I could actually talk about rugby in the fact where we could do a detailed piece. I don't get that opportunity <laughs> at the minute because it's honestly, it's, it's a simple game, but there's some beautiful complexities involved. Uh, Raj, clearly your career is divided into two, two, two pieces. There's your playing career and now there's this extraordinary journey we're on at the moment with your coaching career. Um, mm. It seems that when you started your coaching career, first of all, you're one of the last one of the last three people in my life to make me cry. I just want you to know that, Rog. Um, Thank you. The, uh, the, so you don't cry uh, often. Um, well, like most Irish men, I won't admit to crying often, but I probably cry more often than I would admit. Um, and I don't cry necessarily over sad things. Sometimes I cry over happy things. Yeah, me too. I cried this week when I saw but, Rachel Blackmore's interview. That was special, yeah. I thought. Yeah, do you know when I cried? The, the, do you know the last time I cried, actually, about a sporting thing? Do you know Sam Bennett, the the, the, the Yeah, I was, I was there on the wall. Go back on Eurosport and have a look about seven kilometres out. Remember the speech he made where he didn't know if he had won the photo finish? And he's giving the interview and he's there like, yeah, I just tried my best and hopefully we'll see uh, what happens. And the, and the person comes and they said, you've won, you've won, you've won. And his face when he understood his face when he discovered that he mm. had won and he kind of becomes emotional and I s- you see the naked emotion of a sportsman who has tried so hard for years and hours and months and then that moment when somebody tells him you've won and it dawns on him that he's won and it was first the, the thing happens to me is the the hairs stand up on my arms and then mm. I just could feel the tears coming down my cheeks and of course I know that I'm crying because 
something is so happy. Not sad. Happy. It's fulfillment. It's the realization of a dream that made me emotional, I think. But you're aging too. I think definitely. That's correct. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that a few years ago. I think it's it's an interesting debate topic. Uh, how we become a little it bit is. soft as we get as we get old, but we're lucky to be able to get old. It is when you get into your late forties. I had a chat with my auntie about this yesterday. She's older than me, and she said, "Mario, I knew this would happen to you." And I said, "What?" And she said, "You've been busy all your life." trying and striving and jumping and doing comedy and singing and dancing but I think you can associate with it too because for me you're, it's like you play an individual sport you know what I mean you're like that uh, a tennis player a golfer um, you know I mean comedian stand up on your own uh, it's horrendous in the fact that uh, yes you have a support team but <laughs> it's you going on stage it's Sonia running the laps. It's Sam Bennett pushing the pedals. You know what I mean? It's not as if for an I play a game, I've 14 others to count on. The, the, that mindset and mentality is just, it's, I think it's so much more naked and raw when you're in individual sports, as in your career, where I remember you coming to the opera house and I'm going, how the fuck does he do this? Oh my God. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's too much. I remember you there. I remember you there. I remember shining the light on you in the in the in the crowd, and, oh, and then you're slinking down in your seat beside uh, Jessica. And I remember you cringing, and then I remember not giving up and just keeping going at you. Uh, but anyway, you made me cry because um, I suppose the, the the third last person to make me cry was because it was in it was in Smiths of Haddington Road, and it was 2009, and it was Ireland Wales, and uh, and Stringer passed you. Stringer just let that ball out to you and this was the moment and the thing was everybody knew it was the moment everybody knew that was the moment you would have known it's the moment because a sportsman knows because everything slows down when you're in sport everything slows down it becomes really slow and you would have known it's the moment and we knew it's the moment and you knew that we knew it's the moment and at that moment you stood up and you did what you always did you fucking backed yourself and you you just cork fucking backed yourself and you went I'm going to put it through Mario I, I, I come I cut across you and I don't mean to be rude I but I did what I needed to do because I failed so many times and that's probably an important message to you I don't understand that will you explain that alright so I got to Northampton final of a European Cup in Twickenham in 2000 I'm the out half for Munster. I'm the point scorer. I'm the man to bring home the cup for Munster. 80,000 people in uh, 60,000 of them are Munster men in Twickenham. Uh, Northampton, nine. Munster, eight. David Wallace, try. Jason Holland, drop goal. Or O'Gara, zero from five. You know, bang between the eyes. It's, there's no brushing under the carpet. There's no, the wind was difficult. Just wasn't able for it, Mario. So that's what me, for me, is what learning from something is. And having, there's such a small line between wanting to jump off the old head of Kinsale and going back to work. And I don't say that lightly. It was literally 
groan, swallow me up, take me away from this. I can't handle it. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. But you find you find something from somewhere and you have the capacity and you have the resilience to go at it again. And the thought of someone else getting the kick and tea would drive me insane. And I would never let that happen. But I was very, very lucky to get that opportunity on the biggest stage of all for, for Ireland after, was it 60 years? I'm very, very grateful that that, that that came around because I wanted it at that stage. I sought it out. I seeked it. I needed it. I was able for it. I wanted it. Give me the ball. I want this. While I can guarantee you seven years previously, five years previously, this is too much for me. I'll shrink. I get it. I get it. I totally get it. Um, Sure, listen, I mean, I'm sure you're aware of the Samuel Beckett famous saying which is uh, ever tried ever failed no matter try again try again fail again fail better we're going to have a little parade hold on come around this way quick straight in someone wants to say hi quick a quick little tour quick around and say hi have a look Mario oh Mario how's it going quick Mac (laughs) how are you buddy how are you yeah. What's your name? Do a funny, do a funny voice, please. Who, who do you want me to do? Do you want me to do your dad? Yes, please. <laughs> Hi, this is Ronan O'Gara. I'm absolutely over the moon to be talking to you today. Do you want to do a little parade? Do you want to do a little parade? Do you? Come here. Come here to me. Jess, shut up. Jess, get me dinner ready, will you? Jess, where's me dinner? Where's me dinner? How's it going? Where's me dinner? This is your father. Go to bed. Go to bed. Chaka Sangu. Vamos. Vamos. Okay. Je parle français. Je parle français now, boy. So anyway, did you hit? Hold on, your favourite. Your favourite has to come in. Do the tour. Do the laugh. Do the laugh. Quick. Do the laugh. Quick. Can you do like an Irish drunk voice, please? It's the vaccine rollout handicap stakes, and yeah. here comes right. open the good pubs. Good open nice. the pubs. Can't. Nice. We need uh, f- five, seven minutes of, of silence, okay? Please, guys. You can go upstairs, play, not, not table tennis, but you can go upstairs, right? Raj, Raj, that was a lovely interruption. You have such a beautiful family. Um, yeah, they're cool. What was I going to say there? Oh, yeah, they're cool. So, anyway, that's, I was back to making me cry. So, you stood up and you stood up to the plate, and, well, Mario, and you, just, you just did it. So, yeah. um, 11 years ago now, isn't it? 12 years ago. It's no, over. 12. Get on with it, you know? Like, that's the... Yeah, but I was just... Like I, was just I, was, I was actually say, part... I appreciate you saying it, but... Yeah. It's the same as you. You're not really looking for a pat in the back about a gig you did in the Opera House in 07, you know? Uh, no, but I was just... It was actually the preface to a question I was going to ask. And so, it's really that... The, the, the second side of your career is the coaching side then. And it's yes. clear that you didn't get in. It's it's clear that to me, I, don't, I think it's clear to me that you didn't get into coaching like a lot of soccer players go into coaching. 
because they can't think of anything else to do. So they just go, I'll try a bit of soccer coaching. You got into coaching, as far as I can see, because you have pinpointed it, targeted it, you wanted to do it, and now you are doing it. And you started with um, with uh, Rossing Metro, and then you and then you went to Crusaders, and you said, of course, they have a different attitude to life down there, that the glass is half full, and that you can try things, and that they're positive. And now you are back in France, and La Rochelle are doing really well. So you, you are aware that you are in the middle of this already, it's getting to be a very, very seriously impressive coaching career. And yeah, I am aware. I am how aware. do you feel? I am aware of that, yeah. But it's before that, I, I, when I finished playing or at the last two years of playing, I have a massive interest in, in, in people, in, in trying to get the best out of each other fascinates me and what buttons you need to push and how you make people feel good. It's very easy to tell people or tell a person what he's not good at, but why approach it like that? Why not kind of get a guy up, get him feeling good about himself, and then work on his weaknesses? Because you're dealing with groups of 40 players and 20 other staff, and the staff is a complete different uh, enigma to players, but like the, the actual multiplication of efforts of uh, the synergy of players getting the best out of themselves from the top down really interests me. And I saw that when I was a player about numbers one to 15 don't decide anything, Mario. Numbers 15 to 23 a one to 23 are good, but you need a great squad. You need a squad, guys that feel uh, they belong to something, they get buy-in to something, that it's their project. And uh, you know, I mean, the reality is at the minute, I'm part of a project where the culture isn't very good. And that might shock a lot of people, but that's the honest answer. It's not very good. I haven't got a good environment going in my club at the minute. And it needs to get better because uh, I'm struggling with convincing people that this isn't a job. This is a passion. This is what we're privileged to do. This is what, what you want. To, you've won reputation. What do you want to be known as when you move on from here? Or what, do you, what would you like to be remembered as? But it's not resonating with some of them. And unless you have over... 80% of them convinced that this is the right way to go I don't think you'll succeed yeah okay interesting okay interesting I didn't know that now at all about La Rochelle and about your environment um, and I don't want to make this a big rugby podcast because it isn't a rugby podcast you do all that and off the ball but I, I have to I have to go to a, a, a place here and that is that if you keep going the way you're going this is going to reach an end game quite quickly in terms of you are going to be forced as a 44-year-old man and maybe a 46 or 47-year-old man, you're going to be forced to answer the question. And that is, you just told me that like you are as patriotic as it comes and playing for your country was the most important thing for you in the world in terms of rugby. And I presume, what, what, what do you say when I, when I say if your country calls you at a certain point, what do you say? Do you coach Ireland? Of course you do if the timing is right. There's no bigger honour. There's no other reason that I'm travelling the world. 
because you want to yeah, succeed. So, you're, so, 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 yeah, exactly. So you're open. You're open in, in in going. I'm not going to beat around the bush and pretend otherwise. Yes, I want to go all the way, and I want to coach the Irish team. Why shouldn't I say that to you? Isn't that exactly what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. I don't. I don't feel any extra pressure by saying that, or any less pressure by saying that. I find it very normal. But I think to get into that position, you need to have a good body of work behind you. And you also need to be comfortable in your own head because at that level, if you feel you have any parts of the jigsaw that aren't coming together for you, you're better off holding off. Judging by you, energy levels don't seem to dwindle at 50, which is very encouraging. So Mm. like I look at what I'm looking at in front of me now, and if that's what a 50-year-old looks like, it excites me. And I think I fix... (laughs) I have six years of, of fine-tuning. this is the most romantic, dirty phone call I've ever been on. I'm looking at somebody now, and if this what 50, if this what 50 looks like, I want a piece of your ass. I'll tell you now, Mario. Jess, look at him. He's absolutely gorgeous. If this what 50 looks like, bring me into that train. Sign me up to that deal, baby. Sign me up. No, um, she's moved. So. She's moved away. Thank God. She's in a different room. <laughs> Um, Roger, I just want to do actually a couple of quick fire questions with you. Less less of um, an, a discursive question. Some more quick fire questions, right? So you want the quick answer? Uh, well, no, just 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 your definitive or just a blunt answer, whatever. So um, let me see. Who's going to be our? Who? Give me a name. Who's Irish out half twenty twenty three World Cup? Uh, Joy Carberry. Joy Carberry. Um, would that be predicated on the idea that Johnny won't be will be retired, or that he may be even that he might be a backup? Well, if he's backup, would be a bonus. It's a long way away when you get to that age. You know, I think if you're 36 this summer and you're looking to go to October another two years, it's very, very, very difficult to do. Very difficult to do. Okay. Change of question. If you could choose a person from another sport that you'd like to come in and coach with? In other words, if somebody wanted to coach with you, you wanted a person to coach with you, but it has to be a person from another sport, who would you pick? I'm interested in Guardiola. I like... Guardiola, yeah. I like... Uh, I watch Man City a lot. Um, recently, I'm a Liverpool fan, but I, 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 I think what separates them at the minute is their... As we say over here, that your your TSB, your Travis Ballon, your work without the ball. So everyone gets a little bit excited with you having the ball, but you look at Man City, the press they put on, and I'm not a soccer guru by any means. They don't give any opposition any time on the ball. And it was exactly what we did as a coaching group with the Crusaders. We took away the time and space from Borden Barrett and we wouldn't let him play. And we didn't mind if there was three defenders on one attacker as long as the ball wasn't in Bowden Barrett's hands. We felt we had a better chance of winning the game. And I still see the huge merit in that. Listen, we're pretty much done. Um, really, really thanks a million for doing it. Yeah, yeah, you're a gent. All right, good man. We did a great job. Great questions. Thanks, Mario. Thanks, Patrick. Great to catch up. Chat soon. And that's it for this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Tuning in, do you hear me? I'm still using the language of radio. Tuning in, clicking, subscribing, banging, thumping, uh, jumping on me, whatever you do. Please keep doing it. Tell your friends. 
as we say we're trying to evolve here we're trying to form a little bit of a community uh, you can email me at uh, mariorosenstock at gmail.com twitter at giftgrubmario or I'm on Facebook as well Mario Rosenstock thank you so much for listening um, mind yourselves this week I know it's hard it's difficult maybe we'll get out to do things um, in the next 10 days or so tennis, golf whatever it is but mind yourself and hopefully come back and see me same time same place next week bye bye